Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Cooper Banks. It was arguably the biggest talk topic of the week, and an unprecedented human act in and of itself. Academy Award-winning actor Will Smith losing his cool and walking on stage to slap comedian Chris Rock live on national TV during the Academy Awards just before himself receiving an award for Best Actor, all thanks to one of Rock's perhaps poorly crafted jokes about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, and her hair condition. The blowback has come hard against Smith, but I wanted to turn toward the perspective of those who are on stage telling the jokes. For that, I turn to Dan Conlon, the owner of the Jukebox Comedy Club in Peoria. You saw what happened at the Oscars with what was essentially part of a stand-up bit by Chris Rock, and we all know what happened with Will Smith and the big slap. I just wanted you to state again your reaction to to what happened and what your experience was with that. Well, unlike um, most people that are commenting on social media about what happened, I was actually watching, like I do every year, I was watching the Oscars, and I was just like, what is happening? Everything was all cut up and the sound went out. And mm-hmm. uh, so within about 10 minutes, I went to Twitter and I found a clip. Someone in Australia posted uh, an unedited version of what happened. And I was like shocked. I'm like, is that a joke or is that a, what the heck? It brings us straight to the issue of what, what, the dynamic of what happened in that scene, you had someone who was up on the stage telling a joke. Hecklers are, are not exactly anything new for uh, the folks who come through your comedy club, uh, for you to have to deal with as the owner there. I'm wondering how, how this event affected you as, as someone who works in this business. Well, yeah, You know, all the years that I have owned the jukebox, about 22 years, and going on 6,000 different shows, I've been there for all the shows, no one's ever um, attacked a person on stage. Um, uh, Even after the show, that so seldom happens. Sometimes after a show, someone will come up to the comedian or a comedian and say, uh, hey, I didn't like it when you said blah, blah, blah. But um, it's definitely made me feel that at least for a couple of weeks, I may uh, I may make a pre-show announcement, even if it's a joke. I did it uh, at our Wednesday night show for the very first time. And after I make my usual announcement uh, about turn up your cell phones, stuff like that. Uh, don't interrupt the comedians. I always say don't uh, heckle the comedians. Don't uh, interrupt what they have to say. If you think of something funny to say or you have a comment about something that comedians are uh, saying, just keep it inside your head. <laughs> don't let it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are typically what I announcements that I make, but Wednesday night I said something, oh, and, oh, by the way, and... Uh, don't physically assault the comedians. <laughs> and everyone laughed, as I thought they would. Um, 
And it almost goes without saying because our audiences are so awesome anyway. But when something like that happens, you don't want uh, you don't even take the chance of it um, giving people uh, a thought that oh, uh, maybe uh, maybe I could do something like that. <laughs> you know that I'll strike at that really quickly too. Is did you ever imagine that? At some point, you would have to utter something like that before a comedy show. I don't, you know, you would. I would never imagine that uh, anyone in the country would have thought that someone would be offended by words to such a point where they would do something like that. Can you imagine, especially on national television, mm. in front of millions of people? someone whose career has been awesome to potentially ruin it in that way. So strange. Um, how have I, I, let me ask you this is, is also how is it that the comics that you know, because there's been a lot of buzz and comics have been talking about it. Of course. What's their, what's their reaction been like on this one? Oh man, almost, uh, almost a hundred percent. Obviously, at no point should that ever happen. That's the overwhelming uh, sense. If you hear something uh, during a comedy show that offends you or upsets you, uh, that's understandable. I mean, you never know what you're going to hear at a comedy show. So, that, I mean, that's part of the beauty of it. It's so unpredictable. It's typically so fun. Uh, stress relieving, awesome. Uh, occasionally, you'll hear something that maybe uh, uh, pisses you off, uh, but it, in no way should you ever um, respond to words with violence. I mean, that's a crime. So um, my uh, and the overwhelming sentiment, and mine as well, is that uh, when you attend a, a, a comedy performance, when you attend a live performance of any kind, um, if something upsets you, uh, just uh, put on your big boy pants and uh, <laughs> get over it and enjoy the rest of the show. If, if you can't get past it, uh, if you can't uh, move on and enjoy the rest of the show, then get out. Um, you don't you don't have a right to uh, assault somebody because of what words are said, uh, because of what words are said. I mean, that not that the whole basis uh, or a big part? Isn't that a big part of uh, the Constitution and freedom of speech? Uh, you, you're free to speak freely in this country. Uh, without worrying about uh, punishment um, of a physical kind. I would take it to a, kind of what we had touched on before, a little bit about comedy. I mean, how much of comedy is meant to, say, make the consumer of it a little uncomfortable or offend them a little bit yeah yeah i would say uh i would say that comedy um 
there are so many types of comedy, you know? So how can you please everyone all the time? Um, I think uh, comedy is uh, meant to do so many things. Uh, obviously, the number one thing that comedy should do overall at comedy performance is make you laugh, of course. Uh, but throughout a comedy show, and you know, I'll have headliners, but I'll also have a host, and usually several other comics uh, that do shorter sets before the headliner. And so during a course of one of our shows, there are all kinds of comedy styles and topics um, and yes, comedy uh, is meant to uh, uh, surprise you, uh, shock you, maybe temporarily uh, offend you, uh, make you think, um, induce uh, gut-wrenching laughter, maybe a chuckle, a smile, but in no way should you uh, ever be allowed to um, take it to the point where you physically assault somebody, obviously. But uh, that's part of the beauty of comedy, yeah, that um, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to be said. Um, it's supposed to take you on a ride, you know? Just strap yourself in and enjoy the ride and, uh, and have a good time for a couple of hours. Conlon says the new reminder for his audience is likely won't need to remain for long. The bloody conflict in Ukraine and Vladimir Putin's invading Russian army pounding Ukrainian cities and civilians with punishing long-distance attacks. But the Ukrainian military and civilian fighters continue to push back, with wide-ranging reports about disorganized and panicked Russian soldiers leaving so many tanks behind, the Ukrainian forces have more now than they started with. Ukrainian forces also retaking ground around the capital city of Kiev. Peace talks in Turkey still stalled. We wanted to sit down for another conversation with associate professor and Russia expert at Bradley University, Angela Weck. I was joined with WMBD's Craig Collins as we got the update. The resistance that Russia is facing, I believe, is unexpected for the Russians. They were under the impression that the Ukrainians wished to rejoin Russia willingly. Um, I'm not sure why they thought they needed to invade if that was actually what they believed. But nonetheless, they invaded and the Ukrainians, whether they were pro-Russian or pro-Ukrainian, are all united in not wishing to be conquered in order to be yeah. reclaimed. You know, I'd actually, I'd actually like to touch on that for just a quick second, and then I'm sure Cooper will have some questions for you, too. Uh, some of the reporting we've got said that military leaders in Ukraine, uh, excuse me, in Russia, advised Putin not to invade Ukraine because it would make the two countries mortal enemies. It would weaken Russia's ability to obviously uh, work with a lot of a lot of the countries in the West. Uh, but even more so than that, they believed the fight would be more significant uh, than Putin seemed to believe. Uh, was that thought that Ukraine wanted to be a part of Russia Putin's or many in Russia? It is primarily Putin's, but I think there are the leaders of the military, especially the defense minister Shoigu, share that view that Ukrainians wished to be part of, of Russia. Um, so it depends on who you're asking. Gotcha. I think the military leaders closer to the guys in the trenches understood something very different um, in the fact that even though Russia had already 
supported rebels to take over parts of Luhansk and Donetsk in the far east of Ukraine. They were not successful in simply keeping it and holding it. They they constantly had to fight to hold on to it. So um, I think the, the leaders closer to the front understood that this was not going to be an easy conquest. But that's not who Putin was listening to. Plenty of curiosity about who Putin was listening to and dovetailing on that, Angela. I was going to ask, how surprised would you surmise Putin is right now with the way this is going? I think he's deeply disappointed in the way things are going. Um, one of his closest inner circle, Anatoly Chubais, has fled the country. He is now in Turkey. Um, and I think there are others who are going to be leaving. I think the sanctions are having a dramatic impact on some of those people who have significant wealth that is now tied up by sanctions. Um, and, and they're also seeing the reality. Some people do see the truth of what's happening in Ukraine, and they're horrified by what Russia is doing. Yeah, let me they, ask you this, actually, in, in uh, touching on that, because more sanctions were announced today, and they are targeting individuals and oligarchs and, and people that are probably within Putin's inner circle uh, more than anything else. And I think, as you just stated, that is likely to, or at least the intent is probably to weaken Putin. Uh, but if you don't mind me shifting, to, and these are a couple things I've heard, you can just tell me if you think they're accurate or not. The true intent now for Putin and for Russia is to just decimate Ukraine. That may be Putin's goal, but I don't know that that's the Russian military's goal or the overall, the overarching Russian goal. Um, Putin wanted to demonstrate that NATO had to roll back its its claims or its alliances in Central and Eastern Europe. Nothing has strengthened NATO alliances more than his invasion of Ukraine. That would raise, I, I want to interrupt really quickly about, because it's a good place to ask this question. How much credence might there be to the argument that NATO indeed may have advanced eastward into old Soviet territory unwisely over the years? Well, unwisely or not, every single sovereign state in the world has the right to make decisions about its own security and, and its own economy. Mm -hmm. So whether or not they join NATO, they join NATO. NATO didn't expand and take over them like Russia's trying to take over Ukraine. Mm -hmm. They asked to join the alliance, and when they met the requirements to be in it, they were admitted. But it's not an expansion of NATO like NATO took over yeah. those territories. Mm -hmm. uh, we can actually uh, touch on that for a second, because, as you said, uh, the requirements to join NATO are unique. Uh, Ukraine wanted to be a part of NATO, but there were countries like Germany uh, that didn't want to see that happen, or at least were hesitant to see that happen. Uh, and you need a unanimous vote by NATO countries to have another country enter into that alliance. Uh, do you think maybe on that same sort of line of questioning that that was a mistake, that the countries that opposed the ad of Ukraine because of its proximity to Russia uh, are now in some way, shape or form regretting that because of the invasion itself? I think the I think Ukraine was only very serious about joining NATO after Russia seized Crimea and and then the rebels took over Donetsk and Luhansk at that point in 2014. Ukraine was no longer eligible to join NATO. And so I don't think it's a matter of um, Germany nixing them or, or vetoing their admission. Uh, they're not eligible. If their borders are not secure and 
recognized by the world, they're not eligible to be part of NATO. Neither is Moldova, neither is Georgia, neither are any of the other countries whose borders, either by Russia or somebody else, um, are not secure. Uh, I would ask, bringing it kind of all the way back around to Putin and the broader view of the conflict that unfolds now in front of us, is a reminder, because I've heard you say it so many times, Angela, that idea of, and the question being, how does Putin see all of this, and how determined is he to get what he wants? I, I think he's been very clear on how he sees it. If you look back to the speech he made right before the invasion, where he justifies his um, mental reasoning that Ukraine is not really a separate country, it's really part of Russia, has historically been part of Russia, continues to be part of Russia. It's an artificial construct that was first set up by Lenin and then by Khrushchev after World War II, um, but artificial, and therefore it should be back in the fold, you know, welcome back into the family. Um, he was very clear about that. Um, there are all kinds of holes in that reasoning, but in his mind, that's what he sees. Mm -hmm. And they do share a lot of common ethnic religious, um, linguistic even, connections. But Ukraine is Ukraine. And at the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, all 15 former republics of the Soviet Union were declared sovereign states. So whether or not Putin wants to rewrite history now, even he recognized the borders of Ukraine in 2006. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, he, he's making his own history. Um, and I think he believes that the West would stand aside and let him do it. And I think more importantly, he believed that Ukrainians would welcome him with parade. The last question I would have on this line, and it's the last question I'll have for you today, Angela, is a lot of conversation about people's read on Putin's current true state of mind. Is he still calculating or has something spun off with him in your read? You know, I'd, I'd love to say he's gone crazy, but I don't think he's the only one who shares these views. There are a lot of people in Russia, and for that matter, before the invasion, there were a lot of people in Ukraine who really enjoyed a close relationship between neighbors. But that's important to remember, between neighbors. You know, Russian people vacationed in Ukraine along the Black Sea. Ukrainian people travel widely throughout, you know, Moscow, St. Petersburg, whatever. Hmm. Um, you know, even though average Russians may enjoy a good relationship, I don't think anybody expected the military to take over Ukraine so violently. So that's where people comment about maybe he's lost his mind or something. I don't think that's the case. I think he has settled into his own thoughts of this, and he has surrounded himself with people who are telling him he's correct. Mm. And gotcha. so um, he's... he's He's drinking his own Kool-Aid. Fears of economic fallout from the war grow with food shortages and famine in the third world also feared as a result of the war in Europe. The power of the human mind and the impact of the events surrounding it. When the world goes a little nuts, it can drive us a little nuts too. We learned all about it from Dr. Eric Braun, assistant professor at Bradley University.
who joined WNBD's The Greg and Dan Show earlier this week. Is the word dysregulation, is that the word I'm looking at, of, yeah. of our, our brains? And, and so we've set it up all morning with you in that uh, new, telling people that you're coming. Uh, our brains are fr- uh, frayed. Our, if the wires in our, uh, if our brain were wires, we're frayed a little bit because we've got all this stressor. We have all these stressors. We have COVID and and isolation and Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, looming wars and all those kind of things. What does dysregulation of our brain mean? So, d- dysregulation of the brain. Um, uh, think of it as uh, almost like if you're getting used to a certain way of living. Um, whether that be even from like a traumatic upbringing, for example, um, or, uh, you know, a world event like this one or like 9-11, Columbine, uh, all those types of horrible things, your brain, you, you, you form these, uh, what they're calling neural pathways. Yeah, I've heard of that. And, and what those are is it's kind of the, the way that you feel and think and behave, your brain kind of and this isn't physically true, but you can kind of think of it this way. Your brain kind of forms these grooves. You get used to the the way, those ways of thinking. Could, could you say the word normalcy, whatever your normal is, what mine is yours is, is, is yours is different than mine, but I'm used to getting up every day and going to this job and doing this thing, and, and then on the weekends I do these kind of things. And while there may be variances in there, it's kind of, uh, the same. It's kind of the same, right? Sure. Like, and so that's why um, good habits and bad habits, however you define good and bad, sure, um, that those contribute to that, right? So, yeah, yeah. if you get up, get up every morning and exercise or or meditate or do uh, any number of other uh, healthy ways of coping, right, your brain is going to uh, get used to that and respond to that eventually. Um, if you uh, if you're like me sometimes and you play too much video games, <laughs> you're gonna your your brain's gonna used to get used to that too, right? And sure. so um, if you if you take that to uh, these types of world events and looking at the news and uh, worrying about it all the time, and um, you know some people like to purposely look at things they disagree with. Um, and there's almost a, 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 an addictive quality to that. I was going to ask that. Your brain yeah. gets used to that, too. Is that, a, is that under the definition of addiction? Or like, if every day I get up to try to find out who I'm mad at, mm-hmm. it seems addicting to me. Yeah, so uh, the, I don't think there's not uh, something in it specifically, officially, you know, on the okay. DSM-5. Right. But there's, it, it certainly behaves the same way as, as addiction. It's just you don't... Ha- have as much of that uh, physiological stuff. That device right there in front of you is the addiction. They they did studies where they put people in a room with nothing, yeah. and after three minutes they get started jonesing. Yeah, and yeah. and people don't are growing up now without the ability to turn off and go sit on the back porch and watch a tree wave in the and in, in, you know in, in the wind, and this inability to disconnect and be quiet is, is probably adding to all of this right certainly yeah and uh you know with with technology and stuff there there are other certain things too that that contribute to that as well um uh for instance if you forgot the name of an actor uh back in the day yeah. and you're just talking with your friends 
you got to go, oh, what was the name of that person? Mm-hmm. I can't think of that. And then you and your buddies talk about it, and then eventually maybe you get to the answer. With the phone, you instantly get it, and there may be something lost in that, right? Um, because you're not, in a certain way, your brain's not being challenged that way. Okay, now, this is the greatest news I've ever heard, Danny. Yeah. Because it's it's like uh, Dr. Braun has listened to the Greg and Dan show for the last 17 years. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to us almost every day, where we're, one of us will go, who's that guy with you the thing? You know the thing? guy? Yeah. The guy with <laughs> the, the earring guy with and the, the hat. Yeah. And, and you're right. We live in this Google-centric world. Uh, and so the fact that we can access it right away mm-hmm. actually might be damaging or at least not be a positive thing to helping work the muscle, if I can yeah. say it that way, of the brain, right? Yeah, in a way it, it limits your ability to be bored. And you, you, in a way being bored is good because it, it limits you, you know, you, it forces you to have imagination. And, and you know. my favorite thing as a kid, looking back on my summers, was being bored with nothing mm-hmm. to do yeah. for hours trying to come up with stuff. And, and another thing that might add all of this is for some reason parents look at the kids in the summer going, well, they just can't sit around all summer, so they fill up their schedules with travel teams yeah. and all this and that, and that probably adds to all of it too. Yeah, and that, and, and for uh, you know kids like me who are introverts, I mean, I'm not a kid anymore, I'm 36, but um, yeah. <laughs> you know when I was a kid and still now I was an introvert and am an introvert, and when you fill your schedule with lots of stuff, you know, you never have that winding down time. You never have that rest. You this know? is different. Uh, and t- tell me how it's different than mental health issues. Although this feels like it, it's a mm-hmm. little different, right? This is not I'm dealing with a mental illness or a mental health challenge. I have a brain mm-hmm. that n- is, is just off its path that will lead me in a positive way. And and the stresses of the world, COVID and Ukraine and all the other big things, can take me down that path. So so what do we do about that? Yeah. So um, there are a number of approaches. Um, and and uh, so uh, people often ask me, and I'm I'm going to get to the answer in kind of a roundabout way. But That's okay. Um, so people often ask me, what's the difference between counseling and psychology? And um, psychology comes from a medical model. In, in other words, um, they assume there's there's something wrong. Counseling doesn't necessarily assume there's something wrong, and we need both fields. I'm not I'm not uh, mm-hmm. denigrating psychology in any way, um, but uh, counseling comes from a wellness perspective, meaning we're all growing. They're, they're, they, we all have something in our lives we'd like to see different, and uh, so this is more of a wellness uh, issue, and. In an indirect way, it's a mental health issue. It's just we're not dealing with a disorder. I understand. And so um, the, the, way to, the way to do that, the way I approach it personally is um, I uh, exercise regularly. And um, one, of the, one of the best things I've done for my personal wellness and mental health has been meditation. Uh, uh, Probably five times a week, and sometimes I miss that stuff. Quiet all the yeah. noise, right? And what that does is it helps the regulation, because if you're if you're doing it in uh, kind of in the mindfulness style of meditation, which is counting your breaths. If I breathe in, that's one. I breathe out, that's two. And then when I get to ten, I start over, um, and and I focus on that. And then when I say when, when I notice, oh, my mind's wandering, let's come back to the breathing. And maybe I, um, 
we, we do this thing called noting, N-O-T-I-N-G. Um, I note what the feeling was or what the thought was that got me off of that. Was it an unpleasant feeling or was it a pleasant feeling? And was it anxiety? Was it anger? Was it whatever it was? And I come back. And what that does is that helps those neuropathways that I was, that I was talking about earlier. And it gets your brain more used to going, okay, everything's cool. I'm, I'm back on track. And you kind of get used to those, uh, what we consider to be unpleasant emotions. And you get to be more okay with those emotions. It reminds me a lot of, well, uh, Eckhart Tolle wrote The Power of Now. Um, but it reminds me a lot of, of, of Zen Buddhism in the sense mm -hmm. that it's only the present. All these things are distractions. The only thing you control is now, so be in the now. Sure, yeah. And certainly there's something to be said for reflecting on the past. Um, you know, we can learn from the past and so forth. But being in the present is a very healthy way to be. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and really, it's that idea of training your brain to get back to not avoiding these unpleasant emotions, but learning to ride them out and learning to say, okay, this is part of the human experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with it. It's going to end at some point. Private business deals to purchase and trade private property happen all the time, but there is one such arrangement that has drawn particular scrutiny and quite a bit of outcry in an area of North Peoria around Allen Road and Alta Road. Some residents expressing staunch opposition to a development plan at the Prairie Vista's luxury apartments, in part because the plan includes quite a bit of public money. Under the development plan, many of the residents already there would effectively be displaced and replaced by other area residents and workers whose incomes aren't quite so high. The most vocal opponents so far have been folks who live nearby and across the street. I spoke to Mark Slover a longtime leader and representative for those who live in the nearby Trails Villas neighborhood. Tell us the makeup of the folks who live in this this area, this the whole community that's near there, the residents that you're speaking for, and the residents who live in the apartments there now. Who lives over there? Okay, the people that live in our neighborhood and the people who live in the neighborhood across the street, the vast majority of those people are really, really great neighbors, good people uh, who are retired for most degree and, you know, are always worried about how they're going to spend, you know, their time in their neighborhoods and because they have a lot more time to go out and visit with people. and So it's a very uh, warm and accepting you know, neighborhood where people like to talk to each other. They go out and have coffee with each other. They look at each other's flowers and, and help each other with whatever things that need to have. So that's what, what we have in our neighborhoods. Now, if you look at the apartment complex, uh, what we see going on over there is that it's made up by a lot of people that are young professionals that seem to have very good jobs. And these very good jobs are helping drive a lot of the new kinds of industries we want to have in the Peoria area. And that's one of our big concerns is that we know with this provision, at least 60 plus of these apartments will be relegated to people that are going to be 
somewhat different than they are. And we're not understanding why, because 100% of those apartments are rented almost all the time. And they're rented at market prices, and they're rented by good people. It is basically taking a, a successful uh, apartment complex that is providing a great you know, value to people who want to move here and looking for a good place to live, and why are we disturbing that equilibrium when we don't see any value to the Peoria area and we see the risk of maybe losing some of those people or at least not having those apartments available for people that might want to move here. So why don't they spend these dollars that they're looking at using to buy Prairie Vista and, and create it into a, a subsidized housing organization, which you know they talk about it being affordable housing, the only problem with that is it is affordable. The people that are living there right now, almost 100% occupancy, are willing to pay what they've got in there. So it's affordable to the people that are in there right now. So it's affordable to the kind of workers that live there now. So why don't we build more apartments at a broad spectrum of, of, of income levels so we can attract all kinds of workers to this area? Because that's what we need in this area. We need more jobs to attract more people and get out of this downward spiral where we seem to be losing more people in the Peoria area and more good jobs in the Peoria area than we're gaining. How much money and who is coming in to make this change to Prairie Vista? Who's trying to buy it? Where are they from? How much money are they throwing at this? Because I understand it's quite a lot. I, I can't give you exact figures. I can only repeat to you what I've been told is that originally this apartment complex sold for around $27 million about two years ago, a little less than two years ago. And the, the current buyer is looking at buying it at somewhere around $45 million. And the bond referendum has, is for $65 million. And so there's another $20 million in there that no one seems to be able to explain what happens with that other $20 million that are going into it. The buyer uh, is called Integrity Housing. Uh, it's, I think, incorporated out of Colorado, but also has some strong connections to California. And so those, that is going to be who's going to be buying it. They have no roots that I know of in this area, and they have no reason to be interested, or they, they have no knowledge of what types of things we're trying to dot drive in the Peoria area to create more opportunity for the future, as I know it. And I guess I would follow up with the question, how, how much trust do you place, and I think you spoke somewhat of an answer just a moment ago to this question, but I'll ask it is how much trust do you have in this development company from wherever outside of the Midwest, let alone Peoria? How much do you trust them to care about us here over the longer term? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who has his roots in business, and, you know, I see these people – as as a business entity 
that's looking to try to make a good deal for them and to create a, a good profitability to themselves. Uh, they are a 501c company from everything I've seen. So, I mean, they're supposedly not-for-profit, but there is something that's driving this that I think has some sort of uh, remuneration you know, to this organization or they wouldn't be coming here. Uh, they didn't come to us. They basically seem to be in the background. We're going to have a meeting with them coming up here in the future, I guess, from what I've been told. But, you know, I don't know if trust is the right word, you know, to use here, but I don't see any reason why they have a strong reason to want to support what's going on in my neighborhood and the other neighborhoods in this area. And they haven't demonstrated anything that says, they want to basically explain our concerns. From your perspective and the way that you see all of this information about the Prairie Vista apartment complex and what developers want to do and how it's all coming together, who wins here, according to you? Well, if this, this goes through, the only people I see that win here are the seller and the buyer. Uh, maybe there's something that I don't know that people have been talking about that none of us know about that provides, you know, what they feel is the right thing to do for Peoria. But boy, I don't see it. Uh, what are your hopes? What are your goals as this discussion continues and as this item carries into the future? I, I guess the main thing we want to know is why. I mean, why is this good for Peoria? Why is this good for our community? Why is this good for the people that are currently in uh, Prairie Vista? Everything that, that we can see indicates that it's not good for any of those people. And, uh, you know, there's a potential for, you know, uh, lost tax dollars. There may be a bigger burden on the schools. And if they don't have more tax dollars to cover it, that's a, that's a big issue. Peoria elected leaders say they plan to take a look at the issue a little more closely this month. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest 360 station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 and 100.3 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at 1470WMBD.com. I'm Cooper Banks, WMBD News.